Welcome one, welcome all, welcome back to the 19th episode of the Transform Your Game podcast. My name is Richard, and I hope you like the sound of my voice because I will be your host and moderator here today. I'll be joined by my three co-hosts, friends, and teammates who are more than meets the eye, Kent, Kai, and Joel. Frequent listeners of the cast will know that usually those three have a little blurb, a la Hey There, at the front of these episodes. But they don't this week because our episode will actually be a continuation of our discussion from last week's episode. We're basically running through a history of the metagames for the Transformers TCG, talking through critical points and axes on which both powerhouse and up-and-coming decks were built on or that they managed to attack. Hopefully our discussion of these points is the type of thing you find helpful or inspirational to your own deck building process. I know that we've been able to generate some new ideas just running through this information and topic ourselves. As far as housekeeping goes, I don't have much other than a correction from last week's episode. I said there that the Hunterbird Memorial Open was on for the beginning of August, but maybe the day after we recorded they updated their site to say that the event has actually been pushed back as far as spring 2021. If that date has or is changed, we will update you guys on that info as soon as we can. Our topic for today, like I mentioned earlier, is deck building for a settlement game. It's a continuation of our topic from last week. Now. You might be asking, what is a settled metagame? We did define it well last week, but just a quick hit, a settled metagame kind of exists somewhere in the midst of the two typical metagame spectrum endpoints, new metagames and solved metagames. Uh, Settled metagames typically have some powerful and noteworthy uh, top contenders, but they also have targets in place for other deck builders to attack, places for people to tune their decks, gain real matchup percentages, uh, and operate with a goal in mind as far as uh, proceeding and generating new ideas or even archetypes. Um, this week we'll be running through the roller coaster ride that was the Wave 4 metagame, following our coverage of Waves 2 and 3 last week. Without further ado, let's dive in. Yeah, Wave 4 saw like the, the supreme rise of Mr. Big Boy as the centerpiece character, whether that be Galaxy Optimus or Jetfire or major shockwave. It was really all about the big boys and what you could do with them or against them. Like whatever deck you sat down and faced, you knew that like your opponent was gonna have a centerpiece character that you had to deal with. And you're gonna have to deal with not only their stats, but their abilities that go along with that. So why do y'all think Major Shockwave kind of fell by the wayside in Wave 4? Well, it's the same reason for why um, I think Galaxy Prime was the better deck at the time, at the same time that uh, Blossom was the better deck. Because even if they miss with their abilities, like uh, Optimus not getting his ability to play an extra upgrade or Blaster not getting to play an extra card, they were still on par with the best deck at the time and if they hit then they were just leap and bounds above like what major shockwave could really do because like major shockwave is actually pretty at least the traditional major shockwave that i played was is traditionally very bad against blue decks because there's only one character swinging for a lot at a time outside of like uh bigger they are but yeah it was just the fact that they were they had the same access to uh, the secret actions that Shockwave also got as new toys, but they didn't really 
they act they acted on a different axis like uh jetfire specifically didn't care to lose his hand and he was able to build that insurmountable wall and then galaxy prime didn't really care about cards either because all he he had to do was draw equipment enthusiasts and then he was back to full and and then all the work that he did to scrap the hand was for nothing so um and on top of the fact that major shockwave just took so long to set up because he has to have two gamma launchers to hit his um full potential and yeah that's that just wasn't good enough like it was still the best this the best parts of the big blue big boy blue decks but it was probably like the least effective of all of them Hmm. i i mean i guess shockwave fell off he wasn't the dominant deck all the way at the very end of wave four but but let's not forget kai won ppt dallas with a shockwave deck and stefan made top four at ei with a shockwave deck i mean i think part of the reason that <clears throat> that uh galaxy optimus rose the way that he did was simply because dan arnold won ei with with uh with galaxy prime i mean if if something had happened i mean all, all props to dan i'm not saying that he didn't deserve winning ei or something that please don't take it that way i don't mean that at all but if something had happened he had some bad draws or made a misplay somewhere or whatever and and he lost and was a quote unquote only top eight. I mean, like, I don't know if anybody would have really been all over Galaxy Optimus like they were. I mean, uh, people weren't really on Jetfire, even though uh, Richard was the number one seed going into top eight. He got knocked out in the first round, uh, you know, in the single nation round of top mm-hmm. eight. And so it almost seemed like nobody cared about Jetfire. Like, yeah, whatever, that Jetfire deck, it's terrible. It doesn't matter. I mean, and obviously Jetfire was extremely powerful. So I'm not sure that uh, Shockwave uh, is completely gone. <laughs> I mean, he might be completely gone now, <laughs> but we're talking about the Wave 4 meta. Uh, so I, I, think, I think what made him fall by the wayside was just that he didn't, that it wasn't the deck that was all the way at the top. So people sort of gave up on it a little bit and stopped working so much on it. They're like, hey, let, let's look at this this Galaxy Prime thing. You know, uh, it's it just seems like he's just way better. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that Shockwave might be able to make a comeback at some point if if people really, if they really want to. And that's, I, I, that's just my pers- personal opinion, that Shockwave didn't necessarily disappear through his own failings as much as it, it just didn't get the all the way at the top results that people were looking for right at the beginning of the wave because think- because ei was and you know uh, ppt dallas happened like what like a week after the set came out mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and ei was maybe two weeks later so that was right at the beginning of the the meta and like I, and like i was saying Aggro is always at the top at the beginning. <laughs> That's not necessarily true because the blue deck was uh, was what won EI, but because uh, be, but because an aggro deck came in second, and there were other aggro decks like that in the top eight. Uh, aggro aggro did seem to take control of the control of the meta at least at, at first. Like uh, I think uh, PPT Las Vegas was maybe a week later or two weeks later, and and an aggro deck won that. So. Uh, anyway, I know it's just Shockwave. <laughs> I didn't mean to, to break out from Shockwave, but I don't. I don't really think that Shockwave disappeared so much be, just because he's not good enough, but because people just wanted to go in a different direction. And people have been using Shockwave for five, six months already because you know because of Wave Three or or however long sets are out 
for that four four months, and people just wanted something new. So, uh, and and, and Galaxy Prime gave him that. I think that that's a really interesting point you brought up about the fact that there are actually two Shockwave decks in top eight of EI. Um, I cannot remember the other person besides Stefan. Uh, he's a good dude. I think he's from Canada, um, and I think he took a lot of inspiration from Kai's list, if memory serves correctly. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm also reading a ponytail. Not that's relevant to anything, but it is part of what my memory recalls because I'm much better with like facial attributes than I am with names. Anyway, um, but I think it's a good point you mentioned. That, like, EI was so close to the release of Wave Four, right? It was like maybe like a I think it was less than a month after Wave Four had been out, and people had not had that much time to test with the set, even though a lot of us had tried to get in as much as we possibly could, right? Um, I think that people started to give up on wave, on Shockwave, not because not necessarily because they were wanting something new, but because um, a little bit to the last point that Kai made, which was that Shockwave did all the things the big boy uh, or the big bad blue decks with a centerpiece character did, but he just kind of did the different pieces of them not as well as any of the ones that were more specialized or polarized, right? So Jetfire was kind of obviously the best defensive big bad blue guy, right? He could build an insurmountable wall of tough. Like he put up so much blue on defense, right? Like, I think during the tournament, I defended for 17 more than one time. Um, like, during Swiss, that just happened more than one time during six rounds. Um, and I think that, like, if you look at Optimus, Optimus starts at eight attack in the mode that he's normally attacking in. He's a deck that naturally wants to include oranges. He gets to play upgrades. He gets to play matrix matrices of leadership for free, which is a card that is not something that, that uh, Shockwave can play, right? It's uh, not something he can play for free during during or basically like during combat almost if you're attacking with Optimus first to give your little guys more relevance in combat. So um, on the com on the offensive combat front, Galaxy Prime just kind of overshadowed. Uh, uh, Shockwave, and then uh, on the defensive axis, Jetfire overshadowed Shockwave, and then on the car on the card advantage engine, Prime didn't care about cards in hand, and Jetfire had so many cards in hand it never really mattered that he was having to scrap any. So unless you just hit him with like uh, checkpoint into espionage into flip Shockwave, then you could probably run him out of cards. But that would be like the only way that, that kind of stuff happens, right? And so I think people started to give it up on it upon, upon it like kind of that way over time. Um, that's why I think he kind of fell by the, by the wayside. But what I wanted to say in regards to the fact that it was so close to release at EI was the fact that why do you guys think that it was more obvious this way that blue shells were going to be good and competitive and it didn't take them as long to develop as it did maybe in previous metagames? Like, what do you guys think about that? Um, for me, I... I think it was really obvious when we saw Hidden Fortification and Sabotage Armaments. The, those cards immediately made me think, oh, thank God we can play blue again um, and maybe have a chance against like Blaster Craziness. Um, so that gave us a ray of hope. And not only that, but with Jetfire and Optimus both having such high health, so not only do we have new defensive tools, but we also have these characters with like 20 and 21 health. And hey, Jetfire's going to like, not only have a million extra paddings out, but 
is going to just get to draw a card and then put like a handheld blaster back on top of the deck or an energized field or, or whatever. And that was just nuts. And I do want to say like uh, back to EI, first of all, I love the fact that it was so close to the release of Wave 4. It's more like the Wild West and people actually have to like figure it out um, instead of the metagame settling as we were talking about before. And I was also very surprised like the Las Vegas PPT when Richard, you know, props to you, you were seed one going into top eight of EI and no one at any other tournament ever tried Jetfire that, that I know of except for us when we went to uh, PAX South and then PPT Orlando. It was too tall in the yeah, defense of them. So, like, yeah, most people are really hesitant to play too tall. Yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 I get it. I'm just surprised that, like, no one else really gave it a fair shot. So, uh, Most people gravitate, gravitated towards the three-wide version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, the, that was basically where it went. With the airstrike, with a tailwind and night flight, was where most people played because they wanted to play more mixed and less all in blue. I think one of the other things that was a problem with my list for most people is uh, you were not quick to uh, kill your opponent or to KO your opponent's bots. Very so true. So if you weren't if you weren't playing quickly, time could have been an issue. So. Um, that, that was another thing that I think, I think that was less of a consideration for Galaxy because he was naturally faster at closing games and less about establishing inevitability. So for me, it was it was basically just hidden fortifications and sabotage armaments were just leaping bounds above um, what we had as defensive tools before. And the fact that they were uninteractable at the time outside of Decipher, which didn't interact with them, it just did ping damage, but yeah, it, it was basically just those two and the fact that you had uh, Shockwave, which was uh, already perceived to be a good deck before and now getting even stronger defensive tools. And as well as Prime was on some people's list, but at the top of people's list at the end of uh, Energon Invitational. And um, the other guy who topped that top, got top eight at uh, Energon Invitational was Aiden. I, I wanted to make sure that we at he least did. got that because he yeah. was a cool dude. He was a cool dude. Just so to answer Richard's question real quick um, about why blue was dominant early was because uh, I think it's because Shockwave was the dominant deck at the end of Wave Three, and it was and it was only obvious that the additions of things like Hidden Fortification and Sabotage Armament, which by the way are secret actions that that Shockwave could play off the top of the deck, uh, only made that that specific blue build stronger, and there weren't uh, super obvious additions to aggressive shells yeah that that made them that made them better so i mean i th i think it's possible that that when uh, the developers were coming up with this with wave four with the set they were looking at what was happening in the game at the time when they were developing developing these cards uh, and you know like bugs and cars were just dominating everything so hey we have to combat that but by the time that the cards came out, well, Shockwave was the dominant deck, and then Blue continued to be the dominant color at the time. Yeah, I agree. I was looking, like, I think the thing that jumped out to me, you guys were talking about 
hidden fortifications and sabotage armaments, and I'm sure that everyone here also was including in that bunch Sturdy Javelin, even though they weren't actually saying it aloud, right? Um, but I just was, like, thinking through the Wave 4 spoiler, what tools did aggressive decks get from that? They got a bunch of orange armors and a worse supercharge and head-on collision and stop? Like, that's it? Um... Which is, it's just not a lot. There's just not a lot that they gave aggressive shells for. And they gave a lot of new upgrades and defensive tools to the blue shells. So I think that, like, the obvious good battle cards are what dictated people to look towards the blue, uh, the big bad blue uh, decks, or the deck style, like that archetype. I think that's one reason why. Um, not to say that there wasn't aggro decks, like, in the field, though, right? Like, there were aggro in the field. Yeah, and, uh, at EI, we actually saw the advent of a new aggro deck, which was uh, Airstrike Patrol. And uh, Airstrike Patrol was one of those things where, during spoiler season, it was obvious how powerful Tailwind was. Giving giving plus two for just flipping a card is kind of ridiculous, especially when that card can also be paired with an orange card for plus three. Mm. Um, but I know personally for me, I, I was playing with a list with the airstrike and then I kind of put it to the wayside to play with other lists and then I ended up forgetting about it. But um, there was, it did, the um, airstrike patrol deck did uh, top at AI, uh, EI, it got two tops, uh, one with um, the classic uh, blood, bugs list type deal where it was um, Optimus, General Optimus from Wave 3 and um, the three airstrike guys and then or it was with the uh, Nemesis Prime with um, the three airstrike guys <laughs> that could also side into Springer and uh, overwhelming advantage. But oh, um, yeah. yeah, it was on top of that and um, just uh, green plus two was just so powerful that um, is. Do you guys think that's the reason why bugs couldn't stick around or for why? Um, like there were there were, well, that wasn't the only aggressive deck, but it was like why couldn't that or the uh, three wide Sentinel's deck uh, could couldn't stick around. Well, I want to I want to give props to to the gentleman that did really well at EI with bugs. Like when I saw bugs in top eight, I I couldn't believe it. I was like, how is that deck so busted from wave one and still <laughs> with, with virtually with virtually no changes still good enough to be uh, competitive in a field this large. I mean, I was, I was super surprised. And I mean, I thought, ah, they just got lucky, whatever. But then when I was watching them play, they, they were very good players. So uh, props to them. Shout out uh, to Jimmy. And I'm sure, that, I'm sure that they started their build the same way that I build any aggro deck that I have. I mean, I put three incoming transmissions in there and then I take them right back out because they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, <laughs> but anyway, um, the I mean the reason bugs didn't stick around, and the and the reason that that three wide sentinels that side in like that side in uh, battlefield legend didn't stick around. It, I mean it was just so obvious that the airstrike patrol decks were stronger. They they were they were four wide. I know the bugs is four wide also, but they they were four wide and they got that extra bonus from the green and they got all the extra bonus from from uh, from general optus. I mean like everyone has bold built in that that's that's crazy i mean like the deck was super strong everyone was swinging for the fences on every swing it, it really was uh pretty obviously the um premier aggro deck after it was basically unleashed on everybody at ei which is uh, you know the second what ken was saying it's it's great for for a tournament that's gonna you know uh crown 
what we're going to call the you know championship of the world kind of tournament to to be uh, a tournament that's that's not from a an established format i mean like that, that that's part of the reason that when we when we started the player of the year race that we wanted the our invitational tournament to be a format that's not you know just constructed or or limited we're you know come with some sort of unknown format so that everybody that that comes to it has to has to be innovative and come up with their own idea and it's a completely unknown format and and i think that that's really the best test of skill i mean i remember when i was i know that i'm going to totally date myself here and make myself sound super old but i remember back when i when i was playing magic the gathering uh early early in magic the gathering i mean we're talking in the 90s okay yeah again like i said making myself sound old but but uh <laughs> there really I, I don't want to say there was no internet but there was nothing <laughs> there was nothing that there was no website you go to and just find all the decks that everyone's playing and the, the total hive mind of uh of of this these are the best decks and 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 everyone figuring things out like like immediately you had to come up with decks on your own and and i think that that's that's great and that's 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 what happened at ei and and <clears throat> the unleashing of airstrike patrol and everybody it was just like wow i man i looked at those guys and i was like ah those little five star little terrible guys they're they're awful I, who cares and then they're dominating everybody. I mean, you you know, you don't have time to play this every single lineup of every uh, every build that's possible. So you know, you just have to go. Ah, those cards are bad. I can look at them and tell that they're bad. I'm not going to use them. And then you're like, wow, never mind. Those were really good. It was sort of like reprocess, just like taking taking me to the cleaners. That, that, <laughs> I love that you keep that. I know I've brought it up a bunch of times, but reprocess. <laughs> You know, was, I was just like, oh, that card's not good. I don't want to give life to my opponent. So I didn't even think about using that card. That's the same sort of thing with Airstrike Patrol. Once it was unveiled, everybody was like, oh, yeah, of course those are really good. I mean, look at how strong that is. Well, if, if you know, quote, unquote, of course it was that good, why weren't you playing it? So uh, props to those guys for, for unveiling that on everyone. And that's that's why that stuck around, because it was it's just so powerful from the, from the extra damage, and everyone gets it. Yeah. I think the one reason why they were able to outlive bugs is because they had a more flexible lineup. So, one of the things that was a bummer about bugs was that when blue was really good, Scrapno, who was kind of like your best character, right, was just not particularly strong against the blue decks. He died really easily to direct damage out of combat. Um, if you flipped into his bot mode, he took damage from like the little guys that were accompanying the big bad. He normally didn't live through one strike from the big bad. <clears throat> But um, with Airstrike Patrol, first of all, um, they were not very flip-intensive. I know I've mentioned that concept a bunch of times, right? Like, you didn't have an order to flip your guys because the Airstrike Patrol really wanted to be, in, for the most part, in their alt modes where they had stealth when they were untapped, um, but when they were attacking. So if you needed to flip somebody, it could be the person you were pairing with your airstrike patrol. And if you didn't want to flip somebody, it didn't matter because ultimately your, the stats on your characters were so strong that you could get uh, equity out of your flips later on in the game. And it, you know the kind of the de facto version of airstrike patrol that would feature General Optimus Prime from Wave Three really didn't even use the part of its turn where it flipped a character for the most part. 
right? Like, occasionally you would see them flip Night Flight into his alt mode, or sorry, into his bot mode for them to get one more defense and potentially live some, like, meager swing. Um, occasionally you would see General Optimus flip to his big bad beater mode and get six base attack with the bold instead of a four base attack in his alt. But, like, generally speaking, they just didn't flip their cards very much. Um, but the, what they were doing in combat was so powerful they were happy to give up that part of their turn. Um, bugs had less flexibility and could juggle incoming attacks way worse than what Airstrike Patrol could do. Because Airstrike Patrol, because of the, the optional stealth that it kind of had after you wield, and because they had natural width, they could dictate who was going to be their last character in play. So it was always Tailwind, and he was almost always mostly undamaged, and he also almost always had five attack and three defense before he ever swung. Before you played a weapon on him, before you played an action to buff him, before you hit any oranges. Um, and that's just incredibly good value out of such cheap characters who had a really, really high average damage output, which asked a lot of your opposing team, right? They either had to have huge defense numbers or health pools, um, looking at you, Galaxy Prime, that absolutely dwarfed anything else in the game. So um, I think I think that's one of the reasons why that they were popular. I think that the Three White Sentinels deck was not... Uh, particularly popular, it didn't stick around as much because um, I can say from personal experience with that matchup that the po the pre-board games before he went to too tall, uh, I, I like he was very easy. It was a very easy matchup, and then after board, I lost every game. And I think um, whereas the matchup against um, Galaxy Prime, I think he was better to stay three wide and not go to too tall. But because of his experience with me, he went to too tall and it served him poorly over the course of the games. I think that that deck uh, just kind of seemed... It just didn't have as much consistency as I think you might want out of your aggressive deck. And I think that width was just kind of like the name of the game. I think that if you're looking at width and just the widest, the best wide deck happened to be Airstrike Patrol in the Waveform meta game. That's why I think. While we're on the topic of like decks that kind of entered the scene though, it wasn't just uh, Airstrike Patrol becoming the new face of aggro or the big bads uh, reface or kind of like um, redefining the face of what blue decks look like. We also, and I can't, you know, Kent at Dallas, one of the things we were talking about was the combo deck. Uh, that was kind of a big player in Wave 4 tournaments as well. Various combo shells. Well, that's true. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, the, the, the the com the the cog combo that Kent played at at uh, PPT Dallas actually I mean like Kent and I have been working on that deck for for long weeks. time <laughs> months I don't know we've been working on it for a really long time we were totally planning on playing it and for uh, various reasons I chickened out right before <clears throat> right before the tournament I mean seriously I still had the tournament I, I mean I still had the the deck in my bag at the tournament, I was like, man, I, I just can't do it. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it was because, you know, just a few days before the tournament, it seemed like the deck had been uh, unloaded on the hive mind that I was just complaining about. <laughs> a, a weird variation of it that didn't do everything that we needed it to do. Not our exact build, but but it was basically a, you know, a shot across about, hey, you know, you better be ready for this deck, so have ways to hose it. And here's a perfect way, um, uh, Turbo Board, <clears throat> which by itself is really not a particularly good <laughs> card. 
212-0. Right. It's not it's not really a particularly good card, but but if you think you're going to be playing combo every round, it's a fantastic bot to have in your starting lineup. So, as it would happen, I, I was so afraid of of everyone having turbo board in their deck that I that I chose to play a different deck and I main decked turbo board. I mean, I had him in my lineup. I was playing blaster with uh, you know the regular blaster lineup, except instead of fire drive, I was using turbo board. And you know what? I think that that tournament right there, which I came in runner up at, uh, is a per is a great example right there at the beginning of wave four. That shockwave was still good because Shockwave won the tournament, and that Blaster was extremely powerful because I still got second in that tournament even though um, I was playing Turbo Board instead of Fire Drive. And the only reason that I came in second was because I was playing Turbo Board because when I ran into Kent in the top eight, he had not lost a game. I that's, not, yeah, that's not true. I beat him in one game in our you match. Did. Oh, all right. Yeah, when I boarded down to just Jetfire, remember? I remember. Uh, <laughs> Pepperidge Farm remembers. Pepperidge Farm remembers. Well, uh, so so yeah, I'm sorry. Outside of that one game that Kenneth lost, um, I was playing uh, Turbo Board and Kent couldn't overcome Turbo Board because we had discovered that the main weakness for the combo deck and the only thing that could really beat it because the reason that they banned uh, the ban the card that they did uh, was because you could go off on your opponent's turn. Um, which Turbo Board did not stop. So the only way to really beat that combo deck was to be playing an extremely aggressive deck and just not give them any time to do it. Like um, a mistake that some people made at that tournament when they were playing against uh, Kent, even if they had Turbo Board in their in their sideboard or had Caliburst or something, that like Caliburst didn't stop it at all. Uh, like people thought it would because Kent was main decking uh, defensive driving. <clears throat> but Turbo Board, um, a mistake that people would make is they they would they would sit around and try to not kill Cog so that Ken couldn't go off, uh, couldn't do the combo during the turn. So they would they would give him turn after turn after turn after turn of trying to not kill Cog and just let Ken set up a perfect hand to to go off on their turn when they finally did kill Cog because you can't not KO Cog. You don't really have a choice. Uh, all the other characters have stealth, and you have to attack Cog, and no matter how hard you're trying not to KO him, you have to KO him eventually, so um, they just gave him a, a, a chance to set up a perfect hand, so what I did, or what the deck that I was playing, uh, was that the idea was kill Cog as quickly as possible and force him to go off on your turn with no hand setup. So that's what we did. Uh, that, that's why I defeated Kent. Otherwise, he would have. He, I think, he would have won that tournament. I think he definitely would have won that tournament handily. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, co uh, combo was was a big deal at least at the very beginning of wave wave four. Like right there. I mean, at the very beginning. It's like the set had been out for like a week. I think at, at BBG mm -hmm. Dallas, and that was easily the best deck there. It would have won had I, you know not made the deck with Ken and knew exactly what to do to beat it. Uh, the Springer combo was was uh, really good too later. It, it, it hadn't been made yet, um, but or may, maybe it had, but it, but we didn't we didn't know about the Springer combo at the time we had been concentrating on the, on the on the COG deck. So combo became a really big thing. Combo was actually really good. It was it was even it was present at, at EI. I believe that the, the player that was playing it at EI went 
undefeated Blaine. constructed. Blaine yeah. uh, right, he went un, uh, undefeated during constructed. Just didn't make it through the the limited portion with uh, a, you know unscathed, which was a lot of people's complaint about there being a limited portion. But that's a completely different discussion. Uh, the Springer combo was really good. He also played it at, at PPT Las Vegas and he made top eight there. So I mean, obviously the Springer combo deck was really was really strong. Um, and but there there were ways to answer like with Turbo Board and stuff like that. Uh, but that wasn't necessarily a complete answer. But anyway, um, uh, what what do you guys uh, what do you guys think? How, how does a true combo deck being part of metagame affect what you do with your decks? Well, um, I think that. I didn't really get to play too much against the COG combo before it disappeared from the world as we knew it. Um, R.I.P. Right? Uh, Multi-mission gear. But um, I did. I did theoretically. I didn't because when we were preparing for PPT Dallas and like we had seen the post, uh, my my playgroup in Austin and I had like discussed what our strategies against that deck would be, and I told them I thought that I was supposed to just board down to Jetfire. And they said, that sounds dumb. Can you even do that? Um, which you can, just for everyone's clarification. That is a legal thing to do. Is I presented a team who was uh, less than 25 stars. Um, and the reason I did it was because of the fact that when they would attack Jetfire, I could draw a card. Now, none of his characters were going to actually really deal any significant damage in combat to Jetfire just because of the nature of the deck. So I never had to put any of my cards that I drew back, and it let me dig through my deck more regularly to find espionage, to find copies of security checkpoint, because I was trying to force my opponent to give me cards so that I could try and interact with him. Because when I killed Cog, and I was going to kill Cog, the base attack on uh, Jetfire is sixth, right? Um, so two attacks normally is enough to kill Cog. And when that happens, I want him to have as few resources to go off as to go off with as possible, which is the exact same thing that Joel said he was trying to do with his aggressive blaster style strategy in attacking combo. Um, I didn't have access to a turbo board in my sideboard or to a caliburst, even though caliburst ended up not being very good there. Um, what I what this did in the future for me though. Um, was it meant that I thought about playing extra copies of interactive spells in my sideboard, I guess not spells, but cards. It's like more espionages, um, or in Wave 5, like counter espionages and stuff like that. Um, I, I, we thought about playing, um, what do you call it, uh, Turbo Board in our sideboard as our sideboard character. We thought about playing um, other options, which we'll, you know, I think one of the things we'll do is we'll get to in the next portion, we'll talk about um, beating combo with blue decks. But I also thought that like aggressive shells just generally fared better against combo. And had we had like multi-mission gear not been banned before uh, you get to uh, EI, I think that I would have had to play an orange shell or combo itself just because of how scary that deck was personally. I, I got to say that moment when we played at PPT Dallas and you boarded down to Jetfire. I was just like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> I, I, and like, it, it made zero sense to me. I was like, obviously he thinks he's going to get an advantage this way. And it took me one attack to go, oh, yeah, that's really bad. And dude, that game, you espionaged me and checkpointed me multiple times. And I just was never able to go off. And you were just able to keep digging for it, and you got it, and 
slowly like uh, w once you killed a couple of my guys i was like yeah there's no way i'm gonna ever deal any damage to him so let's go to the next game um mm -hmm. yeah it, it it was just crazy and then like the the beauty of that deck was being able to go off on the opponent's turn when they had turbo board and like normally i should have won that blaster matchup um i because, man, I played that so many times, so many times with Blaster starting Turbo Board. And the majority of the time I would win that, I just wasn't able to that time. Uh, it's just too aggressive a, of a draw from Joel. And I couldn't I just couldn't get it to go off um, in time. Man, I really loved that deck so much. And then the, the one that Blaine made, uh, made was Springer. I thought was a work of genius. I mean, I really, really enjoyed that deck, and that's kind of where combo is is now. Is Springer is the centerpiece character. You're able to get multiple actions again, so you don't have to worry about multi mission gear. Um, and there's different variations of it too. There's the EMP lock that you can do with uh, Springer, which is really cool. And then there's a traditional uh, daring escape as well. Um, and I think like those those decks right now are just fine. There is nothing wrong with them because they're not going off on turn one. <laughs> like mm -hmm. what I was doing or, or turn two. I mean, it was just that was, that was insane. That was way over the line. And I'm glad Watsy stepped in as quickly as they did um, because any anytime like some a deck becomes degenerate i think it hurts the game if they don't react fast enough and i know um you know sometimes and everyone's going to have their own opinion but sometimes people um have uh given watsy some um not fine words for not banning like Oko as fast as they thought they should have um, but like I, I gotta give it to the Transformers team like they did the right thing really quick mm -hmm. uh, both both with swap parts and with multi-mission gear like once, once it was out there they made a decision and got rid of it very quickly and major props to them for that anytime things are degenerate or maybe not even degenerate but where it funnels the entire metagame around like one card or one type of strategy that just is repeated over and over and over and over where it feels like every matchup you play you're gonna be playing against this like that's not healthy for the game and i think it really restricts a lot of the choices that you can make as far as deck design and sideboards and everything it just really like i say it just funnels it down to this like very small world that you can play in um when things get that bad yeah it could eliminate like half of your sideboard too oh yeah oh yeah which i think is a really good thing to like you know if you're expecting it to be part of the metagame right like you have to make those concessions Right, like because you can't most of the time you cannot ignore that that's going to be something that's gonna 
appear. But I will say this, like, it puts a huge toll on your sideboard normally, whether it's the choice of character, which is a huge resource, or if it's, like, three or four of your ten sideboard cards, right? Like, that's a big chunk of your options throughout the tournament that are just dedicated to this one, quote-unquote, to use your words, degenerate type of matchup. Correct. Originally, when combo was kind of like making its advent on the scene, aggressive shells proved to be more harrowing opponents for combo decks to face when they weren't executing their quote-unquote uh, nut draws. So over time, we started to see blue decks adapt to that as well. And the major way that happened was the card Thrust, Supersonic Interceptor from Wave 2, started to make his way into sideboards for people that were to bring in for games 2 and 3 against the combo decks. Now, then we started to see the combo decks target that idea by sideboarding into a plan where they brought in extra paddings and more blue pips to up their, their kind of native defense. This is more the Springer version because Cog had been neutered at this point, right? So they started to, like, you know, kind of get in this arms race for who could do more damage, who could do more damage or sustain more damage over the course of the uh, post-board games. And then, um, so I don't know that at uh, PAX South, and we're leading at the PAX South, Kent had the idea when we were talking about taking Jetfire that he thought it was necessary for us to play Thrust Mainboard. That Thrust Mainboard gave us enough points and enough matchups, and the fact that since we were already playing too tall, that we had access to a more defensive option in Aimless out of the sideboard with the star cards, that that was a totally reasonable concession to make as far as deck building went. When I went to PAX South and I played my first event, um, because I couldn't get there on, on Friday, I think I had to get there on, on... No, I guess I couldn't get there on Thursday, I got there on Friday, right? Um, uh, my first event, I went through with an aimless mainboard, and I lost my winning in because I punted it away. But I will say this, I brought in thrust, I brought in thrust in every single matchup, and I wish I had a mainboard in every single matchup, so the next time, I played thrust in every... in my mainboard, for every, every event on Saturday. Um, and I made it to top, to top four, and then the top four of uh, PAX South was like all of these mainboard thrust decks, and it was absolutely nuts. Um, I know that like when I played against Kai, one of the things I did was like he was playing Galaxy Prime with thrust as opposed to my uh, Jetfire with thrust. Now, I had a really good draw in all of our games, but I do think that like there was an interesting question as to what considerations each of those characters actually made you think about when you were bringing Thrust in. But that brings us to, after that tournament, actually only a week, we went to PPT Orlando, uh, and that is where the next evolution of the metagame took us. Oh man, and like, yeah, I, I gotta tell my uh, version of the David Burgos story, so... I, I'm in top eight already, and so is he, but we decided to play a game for fun, you know, because we drew with each other to, to draw in the top eight. Uh, we're both uh, undefeated at that point, I believe. After we'd been talking about whatever for like 30 minutes, we really hit it off. He is a great guy, great guy. Yeah, we had um, IHOP after the tournament with him. Oh yeah, man, we had such a good time <laughs> at IHOP after with him. Um, but he's like, well, I'll tell you, it's something you've never played against and you've never seen and you've never heard about. And if you're not ready, you're dead. I'm like, oh, cool. Let, let, let's play a game for fun. And I just like pull out uh, like I, th I think our Galaxy Optimus build, which we didn't think was as good as the Jetfire. Um, and he just ransacked me. 
I mean, it was it was not even remotely close. And I was just like, how do you beat that deck? And he's like, if you're playing blue, you don't. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I've just never been stomped that hard, that fast, and just left dumbfounded. I'm, I, I've never been pierced for that much either. So then first round of top eight, I get paired with him and I'm like, oh no. And he's like, yeah, sorry. Um, I know you're playing, you know, Jetfire because you told me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I've got a way to stop this. And sure enough, I didn't. I think our. I think the match was over in like 15 minutes. Like, the, I think I spent more time sideboarding than I did actually playing our game too. I mean, du dude pierced me 13. I mean, uh, in one swing. And I was just like, what do you do about this? You know, and in retrospect, I was like, W5 Gyroblaster would have been good, but I didn't have any in my board. Mm -hmm. So um, that would have been the, the answer uh, if I could draw it. Uh, but maybe even then it wouldn't have been the answer. Maybe it wouldn't have been enough. But I mean, like, man, I just, I, I, <laughs> I have never been like bashed that hard that quickly in a game that I thought I had my mind completely wrapped around. So with the Burgos Bold, what do you guys think made the deck so surprising? Um, so for people who don't know what the Burgos Bold is, um, it was basically a four wide deck that was playing uh, a, every single orange black card in the in available in the game at the time. And every time you swung, you were swinging for um, six pierce six, five pierce five. You're, basically, you were trying to match your attack swing with your um, uh, pierce number because you had a you had both Demolisher and Lionizer for um, a large amount of pips to flip. But um, the reason why it was so surprising was because um, there was there was just not a deck that was able to just do that much guaranteed damage at the time and stay four wide. And it was also just something that basically a brand new archetype because the orange black cards, uh, we knew they were good. Like Viper Position was obviously good and Wedge Formation was good, but we didn't. There were some very unplayable ones like um, <laughs> uh, Opportune Repairs, which he technically couldn't even play, but he yeah, played them for the pips. So it was, it was very surprising that something like that was able to just come out of the woodworks and just mollywop its way to a second place finish. So yeah, big, prop, big props to uh, David Burgos. I actually wonder if the Wizards team had that deck in their Wave 4 builds internally. I, I, would not be, I would not be surprised if they did. Actually, I seriously doubt that based on the number of orange-black cards that they made in this wave. Yeah, just like that's I, what I was going to say. Just like I was saying with, uh, with how the defensive cards like... Uh, like Hidden Fortification and Sabotage Armaments were almost a, an answer to a meta that had kind of already gone away because it's not like this car come, it's not like this game comes out every week <laughs> or something you know it's not like a weekly magazine or something it's months in development so so they develop these cards months in advance they're like oh yeah we need to we need to answer this and or we need to give more to this and and oops, oops it's too late I mean like I think the Burgos Bull deck was uh, I know it was right at the end of the wave, but it was 
virtually unanswerable by anything that anybody was playing and now they just added like a million cards that make it better because the thing about that deck like uh kent called me during the tournament uh after he after he drew with with uh david and was like dude what am i gonna do about to play this deck i, I was I said, I, I guess you just, you know, play and hope that you win. I mean, like, I don't know, like, <laughs> just, just whatever. And so when he showed me this deck, when, when, uh, after, after he came back from Orlando and I played, I picked up, I was like, Dude, this deck is awful. How did this deck beat you? I mean, I was like looking through the cards. I'm like, you can't play this. You can't play this. You can't play this card. These, this is awful. And then we play one game and I completely stomped and I went, man, this deck's really fun. <laughs> I mean, like I, I'm looking at three cards in my hand that that are completely unplayable. Who cares? Dead Swing! Moment. Oh, yep, take seven. <laughs> you oh, can't stop yeah. that. I mean, it was the best good. one was I mean, up I, wedge formation because it did do like it was like a playable card. So like when you saw wedge formation in that deck, you're like, yes, a playable card. Yeah, I mean, there there were so many un. un Terrifying resilience. There's like, there's horrible cards in that deck. I mean, like it seemed like half the half the deck was unplayable. It was almost like during wave one, if if you could run twenty piece through tyrannies in your bug deck, would you have done it? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Every time. Probably. So I mean, it was it's sort of like that. I mean, and Kai said, well, we knew this car was good. This car was good, and this car was good. I don't think that we did. Like. I don't think that we knew that fight for, fight for position was a good card. I think we just thought it was a really bad supercharge. I think I called it a bad supercharge earlier in this podcast. I mean, yeah, it was just it was just a bad supercharge. I mean, it's, it, the 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 deck is full of suboptimal cards, and 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 you look at the lineup and you're like, <laughs> okay, th thanks for the easy win, bro. And then then they then they start attacking. You're like, uh, hmm. It's almost like if you're sitting down against someone that's playing Whirl right now. <laughs> and you're like, thanks for the easy win. And then if they beat you somehow, you're like, I don't believe that just happened. I mean, like, it's, you know, you look at their deck, you look at this deck, and, and that that's what I'm saying. It was so surprising and, and exciting at the same time. I mean, it's like, wow, how does this deck actually win when you're basically not playing any relevant cards? Yeah, I think that it's a beautiful piece of targeting a metagame. So there are, there are several axes, and... We interviewed David, and he did a deck profile uh, with Def TF Stefan over on his YouTube channel uh, after the tournament, right? Where he talked through some key points, right? Now this is kind of this is the final evolution of the deck. Like read a couple other versions that we built after that. I know you guys added like heat of battle and stuff to it. Um, but so the deck was really cool in several ways because it was all these blue decks were trying to have this arms race, right? Where they were trying to. Uh, they're, if they're playing thrust, they're just trying to output damage as high as possible and have the highest defense as possible from the configuration of the pips in their deck, then the easiest way to do that is to have characters that either can't or don't care if they die during uh, the early parts of the turn, and that swing for high guaranteed damage ignoring defense. So just like maxing out on orange black cards, you can't actually play them. If you're so much better than the metagame decks in combat, it doesn't matter if you can't play your cards, right? Like it doesn't matter because you're hitting on the on the single most important resource in the game. I cannot hammer this home in enough of these podcasts that combat is the major resource that you are governing, that you are managing during this game, right? 
And it was so good on that axis in this metagame that it didn't care about ignoring half or all of the other part of its turn, right? And then the other thing that he was doing was because he was he was very, he said specifically, he was bad against traditional aggro. So Airstrike Patrol ate him for breakfast. Um, and I think a good reason for uh, one of the things he did that was smart against that was he included main deck force field. He included Vanguard in his lineup so that he got to dict at least dictate where his opponent's attacks were going on the draw. And then when he was on the play, he could do things like get multiple turns of value out of his really important attackers. He, they, if your opponent had to attack Lionizer twice before they KO'd him and you got to swing like for like seven damage every single time, you would take that trade in a heartbeat. It's not even a question. Yeah, Vanguard like made it almost impossible for me to kill him. Like I was doing that exact same thing, like trying to kill Lionizer and then uh, disarm him away once he was an upgrade. And it was just like, no, nah, flip to white. You don't get to kill him yet. Exactly. I'm like, so, no, Vanguard was clutch. Yeah, he identified what he was good against and then he identified what he was bad against and he decided that sacrificing very, very few points against what he was good against earned him quite a few points in the matchups that he didn't actually feel favored in. And that is a masterful piece of deck tuning, deck tuning and a really, really good example of the types of things you should be considering when you're building and improving and iterating on your decks over the course of you attacking an established metagame. That's one of the reasons why I love this deck is because it's probably the biggest ex or most key example of what we were talking about when we're talking about the original actual topic of this cast. I think Wave 4 was probably my favorite meta um, just because like, yeah, the combo thing obviously, but the surprise of the David Burgos deck and the fact that like our team, we had figured out to play Thrust mainboard. We looked at the metagame, we determined, hey, everyone's going to play Jetfire or probably Galaxy Optimus, and we were right, and we knew going first or second, if we had Thrust mainboard, we were going to win that game. We looked at the metagame, we looked ahead, and made a conscious choice to win game one that way. David looked at it a different way. He was like, yes, everyone is going to play Jetfire or Galaxy Optimus or Major Shockwave. It's going to be blue. And I'm just going to have a deck that runs them over. And they will not have an answer to it. And there you go. Absolutely. All right. Well, that brings us to the close of episode 19 of the Transformer Game Podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Wave 4 coverage of this topic in context. We really did want to make it to Wave 5, not just this week, but actually in last week's uh, episode, if you can even believe that. Uh, but I guess we'll just have to join us next week when we really get to some of the juicy stuff discussing the recently released Wave 5 Titan Masters Attack metagame. I can't let you, our listeners, know enough how much we appreciate all of you out there in the Aether listening, whatever platform you're on. You can find our other episodes and more down the line on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify, or wherever your podcast needs get met. And we will absolutely have some links in the description to help you out there. And if you found the input and information here valuable, you can find more strategy, analysis, tournament reports, and more like it at transformyourgame.net. We look forward to being back to speak to all y'all next week. But until that time, clear eyes, flip bots, can't lose.